you don't do a press release for a digital show, really, but it just kind of appeared and people were like, oh, my God, Office Reunion. And then episode two, boom. Oh, my God, Hamilton Reunion. Right. It is um, a free ball way of doing it. And it's amazing what you can do creatively when you don't have that kind of pressure. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Lainey. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com, a talk show host in Canada and an entertainment reporter. And I'm so happy that I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is like me and has shallow ears because he is wearing earbuds and not AirPods. What a specific observation. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer. And I am a wayward weekend MacGyver, and I'm real happy about it. On this episode, we talk about John Krasinski's pivot. He should have been celebrating one thing right now, but instead we're celebrating him for another. And we are talking about a star on the precipice of breaking out or not. How did you feel about the long form profile of Tear star, Ladarius Marshall. This is Show Your Work. So you sent me a text last week. Have you tried this personality test? So of course, I go and do the personality test, which pairs you to a fictional character on TV and movies. And I have shared the results on uh, the site, but... Um, I have not shared your results on the site. Um, and I have questions about your results because your text to me and another friend of ours was like the fact that you were matched to like a psycho charmer, which is how you described it. But that was like your number two and three. You completely blew past your number one match. Oh, yeah, I did, because um, the number one match uh, was Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. And then the next five were like Loki and (laughs) um, uh, God, I can't remember other like weirdo shit disturbers. It was was James Spader from The Office. Yes, God, Robert California. Right, Robert California. And uh, Loki and Tony Stark, which I wasn't mad at, and so forth. Like, noted shit stirrers (laughs) uh, with a real, like, uh, malevolent bent, but malevolent out of boredom almost more than evil. And, uh, yeah, I skipped over Samantha Jones because I did not see how she fit the same profile and the next few all seemed to add up. Well, that's what I was like, wait a minute, I'm looking at your top five. And yeah, you fixated on Loki and Robert. But I'm like, Samantha Jones. There's nothing wrong with Samantha Jones. But I wonder if so, uh, if you haven't yet done this quiz, it, um, 
it not only asks questions about what you think you are and then tells you who you are, uh, but it also asks people for information about characters. Did you get that like sort of subsidiary menu? And so part of what's happening is that uh, I'm wondering if the only female character that other users can think of who fits into that like malevolent psycho place is Samantha Jones. And so if you pull the am I feminine bar over beyond the 50% mark, they're like, oh God, who fits here? I guess Samantha. That was my most, like the most emails I got last week from readers was about their results of the quiz. Um, And still continuing. Uh, Somebody emailed us this week just to say, I got CJ Craig bitches, bye. Like that was the (laughs) sum total of the email. I also was a little bit disappointed because my results, like nothing, nothing that I matched with came up above 75%. Like I saw that a lot of people were in the 80s and even the 90s with a match with their character. I think you were in the 80s, but mine felt so lukewarm, like oatmeal, like, ah, we don't really have a great match for you. So here. I think that maybe that feeling that you describe that lukewarm feeling is how I have felt on every uh every Harry Potter test ever taken on many a test that is uh you just sort of go like really these are your questions these are I guess these are the results but it's funny that you mention it and that you bring it up because I was going to ask you about something else in the same vein And that is this. I spent the weekend bragging to all of my friends because I managed to MacGyver my very first home type project together. I am not a decorator. I am certainly not a DIYer. Uh, I like to own things that are foolproof uh, out of the box. But I did a thing. I rewired some light. Well, I didn't rewire. I suppose I... I connected wires in light fixtures, three of them in total. Um, So I was very proud and that's a new thing for me. And so I was wondering, what do we call that personality trait? Like, obviously everybody is doing like baking bread and there's a whole segment of the population that's like sourdough people now. So I want to know what the, what's the personality trait quiz for uh, you want to do things yourself, but not read any manuals on how to do them. Well, I feel like otherwise. that you doing that, it was very you. Like I wasn't surprised. Like it, it's very on brand for you. It's, it fits into the, like you also mow the lawn and, um, you like, I think last year you built a door or you added a door to your office and it's like one of those things that fits into the same family of tasks that is very you. I I just don't like to be told I can't. I don't like being told I can't do something. I have no desire to mow the lawn. I have done it maybe twice um, and try to offload it as much as I can. Uh, but, uh, but yes, I like doing things that are impossible. Is that Loki or is that Samantha Jones? It's probably a little Tony Stark. Yes. Yes. See this, I, I did feel like this quiz saw me. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's, I did not feel like the quiz saw me. But you know what we saw? Uh, in a recent episode of this show, we talked about the Cuomo brothers and they are everywhere. The New York Times just did an article about how they are must-see television and why they are sort of disrupting journalism. Uh-huh. They're being talked about, like E! News just did an article on them. Um, the New York Times article was really, like really interesting because, of course, like everybody's laughing at their banter, but there are some journalism experts who are wondering whether or not this should be a trend in journalism, whether or not it violates the standards of journalism, a brother interviewing a brother, brothers sort of bantering back and forth and sort of poking at each other. You've got journalism academics who are studying this. Journalism academics maybe in Germany, I think they interviewed a professor of journalism in Germany who was like, this is weird and not kind of what we are super supportive of in our profession. I, oh, I don't know. I mean, I get the idea in theory. I get the idea that journalism and the pursuit of the truth and of facts and of sober information that you can trust as a philosophy, I understand it. But at the same time, in North America, there is a real thing whereby, as we know, um, people ain't watching that news. They're not trusting or listening to that news. If the Cuomo brothers getting a few digs in allows people to believe that it's entertainment and so therefore they will actually pay attention to the information they need to know, uh, if that's why they're a phenomenon, because they're doing both, then I'm not sure I can argue with that. But also, where were you 10 days ago, New York Times? We've been on this. <laughs> it's, it was interesting because CNN was not supportive of Chris Cuomo interviewing Andrew Cuomo for a long time. In fact, the New York Times cites a decision that they made in 2013, CNN did, where they banned it, that other journalists were the ones um, interviewing Andrew Cuomo and not Chris. And then what happened, of course, is recently there was no getting away from it. And apparently Chris Cuomo's ratings have gone up 118%. I mean, yeah, I get, again, I get why. Because in theory, with any other brothers, especially where one was an actual public figure that should be held to account, you would say that, you know, there could be bias. There could be favoritism. What if he doesn't ask the tough questions? Um this is like everything else, this extraordinary circumstance. Uh, but in terms of whether it creates a trend that, uh, that we're going towards, I, I don't know. It's that thing where they're the exception that proves the rule, right? Can I think of 50 different scenarios where other brothers interviewing one another or other family members interviewing one another will be terrible? will be exactly the problem that these journalism professors in Germany are complaining about? Absolutely, I can. But this, where else would we be getting what we're getting from the Cuomo brothers uh, or have been getting? Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty exceptional circumstance, I suppose. It is. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, in that same piece, they talked about how crisis reporting and crisis news sets the agenda or sets the trend um, and sets the standard for what will happen to news when things are normalized. 
Um, so it it wasn't only just addressing how the Cuomo brothers are reporting or at least relating to each other during live news coverage, but also with the technology that's being used, like broadcasters are now seeing that people will watch um, people being interviewed on Skype and anchors reporting from their basement. And of course, television executives are always looking to save money. And they're now say, thinking to themselves, oh, when COVID-19 and lockdown is over, can we use this ongoing as cost saving measures, which it's yeah, like I would love to fast forward two years from now and see what the landscape of live broadcast TV in news journalism looks like after this. For sure. And the other mitigating factor in that, I think, uh, is, of course, you're right. Of course, they want to save money. And the novelty of being in people's homes, I think, will wear off. But the other thing is that uh, all those philosophies about journalism that were erected 60, 70, 90 years ago um, were from a time when there was one issue of news a day. There was one newspaper or one news broadcast and not a constant update and flow such that by 6 p.m. or 10 p.m. or whenever uh, Chris Cuomo airs, you're exhausted from hundreds on hundreds of headlines. And for God's sake, all I need is a little like acidic brother banter. Well, on that note, like Yasik and I were just going, like we went for our walk just now and he was talking about Chris Cuomo and he's like, cause you know, Chris's show doesn't air on the weekend. And so it's mm. Monday as we're recording this. And he was like, Oh, I got to tune in and see how he's doing. Because of course we know that he tested positive for COVID-19 and he wasn't looking great last week. Um, so yeah, like hottest show on CNN right now, it's Chris Cuomo. But the thing about the hottest show going is that don't you find that especially lately, it's never the one that you expect? Totally. Uh, recently, uh, everybody on God's green earth, probably including the people listening, uh, raced to email me to tell me about uh, John Krasinski's second episode of his new show, Some Good News. Uh, for the two people who don't know, he created a surprise broadcast for a nine-year-old girl and had the entire cast of Hamilton, the original Broadway cast, perform uh, the opening number live on Zoom for her super cute. It was a really, it was the epitome of how a moment like that, uh, a surprise moment, that kind of thing can be done in the new ways and the new broadcasts. It was very cute. I loved it. Thank you to everybody who sent it to me. But didn't you also wonder what's John Krasinski doing with what looks like a talk show? I, I think it's pretty funny how things work out or don't work out because the John Krasinski story that we're supposed to be talking about right now, first week of April is the quiet place sequel. So the uh -huh. film was supposed to come out uh, a couple weeks ago ish around this time. Let's call it. The first film was a surprise hit. Uh -huh. um, the second film, all kinds of anticipation. He once again directed and wrote, um, a couple of months ago, I had pitched that story to you, and I don't remember if we ended up talking about it on an episode. I think we killed it, and I think we killed it because 
um, both of us kind of were like, well, if we talk about it, are we going to be able to talk about the elephant in the room, which is if he was getting all the offers and all the opportunities that he was hoping for after the success of The Quiet Place, would he really have to do The Quiet Place too? Do you remember this? Oh, I remember it very, very well. Um, that there were supposed to be all kinds of headlines coming out about things that he was going to do or not do or, you know, what's the next film you're going to direct? I remember you and I going deep, deep into a profile of he and Emily Blunt, what, in Vanity Fair last Hollywood year? Reporter. Right. And, uh, you know, it was very much... The idea was the opportunities are limitless. He has this quirky auteur thing going on. And then, yeah, A Quiet Place too. Um, I think what I maybe said is a very cynical thing, which is that sequels are, uh, sequels are made for money. You make a movie because you have a great concept or a great script, and you make a sequel because the first one made money. But to your point... Uh, the story has now changed, right? It's that, like, spin the wheel of what happens next. Uh, we're not talking about that movie at all for the time being. No, we're not talking about that movie. We're talking about how um, adorable and charming this show is in its second episode, how he managed to do what, let's face it, like, James Corden would have wanted to make this happen. Jimmy Fallon would have wanted to make this happen. It's not like Lin-Manuel Miranda doesn't, like, you know, show up on Fallon from time to time. I'm sure Colbert would have wanted to make it happen. Ellen, please. I mean, <laughs> and yet it's John Krasinski in his second episode, an online show. He's the one who pulled it all together. And of course, like we can talk about what the connections are here, Mary Poppins and Lynn and all of that. But it 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 is an unexpected thing that we're connecting to John Krasinski when we were supposed to be talking about something else, what leverage can come of it? Like, what is the future of it? Does it continue after lockdown when hopefully one day we come out of this? Does he, does he spin this into the opportunities that he would have wanted to sort of capitalize on, um, hoping on after the success of The Quiet Place, the first movie? It's it's a really, really interesting thing that just happened to him that he conceived of, to his credit. Well, that, I think, actually is the key that he conceived of. And here's why. Um, when digital programming first started to be a thing, uh, not just streaming movies, but, uh, you know, I've, shorter programs or things that were Hulu originals and so forth, uh, there were people talking about, oh, it's just a chopped up movie. Uh, that's how you make... 15 minute episodes of something. And then there was another entire kind of uh, arm of people going, actually, that doesn't work. You have to write specifically for this platform, specifically for this space. And uh, I once got amazing advice uh, when I was working on something digital with a limited budget. And it was, don't think about the things that you are not able to do. Think about what this particular set of circumstances allows you to do. And what this particular set of circumstances allows John Krasinski to do in episode two 
is he got 25 Hamilton cast members in the same place at the same time. That's a bit, that's because, you know, they only need to be in place for call it 10 minutes, mm-hmm. right? On their Skypes or FaceTimes or whatever. They're all in their homes anyway. Yep. Fine. But the point is it's the kind of programming that is actually des- I don't want to say designed for quarantine, but that is uniquely appropriate for quarantine up to and including cutting from the shot of the little girl in zoom to the shot of her that her mom was clearly shooting on uh her iphone you know it is the kind of thing that it wouldn't have been as exciting on ellen because what's ellen gonna do gonna pull up a big screen and then suddenly the whole cast is there or, you know, you're not going to put 50 different cameras as they each appear in a different place in the studio. It is something that was best done on Zoom. And I never thought I would say such a thing. But that's John Krasinski's kind of bar that he's set at two days in, you know, that uh, he's like, okay, I can do things that are uniquely suited to this platform and make them work. And I say that as somebody who didn't watch episode one. But the thing is, is that everybody's doing it on this platform. Ellen, Fallon, Corden, Colbert, and Kimmel are all doing their own Skype chats, Zoom chats, and putting it up. Like, it, the, the technology is there for all of them to do it. And the interest was there, but it was Krasinski who was able to land it all and pull it all together. Yeah, to say, here are not just what we have to do, but here's the opportunity of what we can do. Um, you know, kind of thing. And I, yeah, I was able to, you're right, to to put it together and pull in the favors and all that kind of thing. But even to conceive that it would, that it would work, that it would look as seamless and as, as fun as it did. It felt like we were there because we all communicate on Zoom exclusively now. So it felt like, it felt fresher and more exciting than it had done. For, you know, other other late night hosts who are trying to approximate the feel they used to have in their own theaters, you know? It's um it's I wonder if it gave John Krasinski like the same feeling that he had when the first Quiet Place came out, where there are lower expectations. There is like, oh yeah, you you directed and wrote a thriller and it's like, there's no talking great concept, high concept, if you will. And Mm -hmm. let's see where this goes. It's a February release, right? Mm -hmm. Usually high expectation films don't come out in February. And then of course, as we know, it became one of the most successful films of the year, X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And there would have been much more expectation going into the the sequel. Um, And, we don't have the sequel, of course. They've like pushed it back, but there was literally no expectation going into SGN. Like, uh, no, right? I, I don't even know if there, if we knew SGN was going to exist before day one. We didn't. Like the first episode that came out last week when he was with Steve Carell was a total surprise. There was no like, I mean, you don't do a press release for a digital show, really, but it just kind of appeared and people were like, oh, my God, Office Reunion. And then episode two, boom, oh, my God, Hamilton Reunion, right? It it kind of is um, a free ball way of doing it because, well, at least up to this episode, 
people did have not even expectations, no expectation. And it's amazing what you can do creatively when you don't have that kind of pressure. I going into episode three for next week, I think that there probably is a little bit more expectation when you bring Corel and an office reunion in number one and then a Hamilton reunion in number two. I think probably by the time we hit play next week on episode three, there might be a little what's going to happen this week. Well, I, I should uh, admit that uh, last night, uh, so Sunday night, I saw the, the video not too long after it went up, probably 15 minutes after it went up. And it, I loved it, of course, and I immediately tweeted about it. Uh, and who do you suppose was the first person to like it? It was John Krasinski, not to brag, um, but I point that out not because I'm so wonderful, but because he's clearly watching people's reactions. He was on that within seconds. He is haunting his own mentions to see what the reaction is. And I think that your assessment is really correct, that he's best when he's outside of uh, conventional expectations. I think he has alluded in some way that he, you know, part of the reason that his path in Hollywood has been less typical is because he's not quite a good looking hunk guy and he's not quite an affable boy next door. Like he sort of lives in the middling place, but it allows the things that he does do when they land to land really well. I know we've also talked about in the quiet place script, which I encourage, I know I talk about scripts that people should read all the time. But even if you never read a script, if you look at the script for A Quiet Place, he played with fonts to indicate the feeling that he wanted you to have in the film. At one point, the entire page is wavy and hazy, as though you're listening to somebody underwater. Um, those are not things that you do in screenwriting, obviously. But if you're this guy and you've never done a thing and you're trying to get across what you're doing, it's the absence of expectation, as you point out, that lets you go, you know what, let me try a thing and see what happens. So how high are your expectations for episode three of SGN? I think that, I mean, I think that the formula is emerging, right? Uh, there's some affability. There's uh, him acting like an absolute dork, like if he can roast himself, all the better, right? All of these do seem like ingredients for late night hosting, which is really interesting. Um, and we know there's going to be some sort of a uh, celebrity cameo. Yeah. Right? Or he's multiple. The, right. He's got the clout to pull it in and he's got the, uh, you know, He's got people essentially as a captive audience. Uh, so why wouldn't they? So, yeah, I'm expecting like the first uh, appearance of George and Amal's twins, maybe. I don't know. Um, less that it has to be bigger every time, but more that it has to be the only what John could do. That he has to be doing something that can't be replicated two nights later by Fallon or Corden or whomever. And I guess the interest for us, big time, because our podcast is about work and about creativity, is seeing 
all the ingenuity that is coming out of this place of desperation. I mean, what is that saying? Desperation breeds. Uh, I mean, necessity is the mother of invention. There you is go. The one that comes to mind. Uh, but uh, I, I think there's another one as, as well. I know what you mean. But all around the industry and every industry is this like, this explosion of creativity and imagination because we are all being forced to think things different. Like we were all being forced to think through things differently, to do things differently, to do our jobs differently, to do new jobs. Um, and I love that we're also hearing from people who listen to our podcast, who are sharing the ways that they are expanding or, um, the ways that they're expanding and, and doing, doing different things because either they're at home and what else is there to do or because they're at home and there's so much to do. All of that. And also, um, you know, I think I can't remember the last time we were all of us, those of us who communicate with other people for a living and those of us for whom that's a nightmare uh, we're all figuring out something new at the exact same time. Uh, it's a little bit like the birth of the internet. Remember the first time you saw your friend online on like, uh, uh, you know, some primitive AOL? You're like, oh my God, hi, is that you? Are you there? <laughs> um, so we're all kind of figuring it out at the same time. And yeah, there are going to be all kinds of new channels from it. Um we asked you guys to tell us how it feels to adapt to the new world, how your work is going. Um, and we got this amazing email from Jordan. Uh, there's a few lovely paragraphs at the beginning. And then Jordan says, okay, niceties and salutations are over. I lived in Toronto for 15 years and now live in Manhattan. I'm an actor, gross, I know, but stage, so a little less cringy. Also musicals. Hi to Anna. And worked at the Stratford Festival, Mervish, blah, blah, blah. Recently, I've been going through a career slump. It happens. You age out of being the kid next door, but you're still too young to play dads. I've been quarantining for three weeks as of today. And while it's been boring and scary, it's also given me time to be creative in ways I never knew possible. I started writing, writing music especially, and then filming those songs in music videos by myself and at home and uploading them to Facebook and Instagram. I never thought I would do something like that, but what I've been writing has been self-aware, humorous videos about our new socially distant lives, and um, the point is, they're funny and under a minute 30, and we'll provide a link for where you guys can check out Jordan's videos as well, but I think what is amazing about that is, as you point out, it's all of those cliches for a reason, right? Um, the, the darkest hour is just before the dawn, the time when you think you are the most tapped out and have nothing left to give is often the time where you come to a place where you're like, oh, actually, I think I have found a new breakthrough here. He goes on to say, um, what is exciting to me is that quarantine time is reconfiguring what I'm good at and interested in, and I'm trying to use this time to show my work and help myself get a leg up on a potential new career once the curve has been planked and we can move on. You know what, Jordan? Like, I can't wait. I can't wait to see, yeah, you post planked curve because 
That's exactly right. I, not everyone is in a position to be able to do that. I get it. Um, but for those of you who are, I mean, Jordan's like the star, man, the North Star. We're kind of living in a in a dystopian version of that kind of fantasy where, oh, I want to leave it all behind and then just move to Fiji. It's like, well, you're going to leave it all behind and move to your kitchen table. But when that happens, then what matters? Then what do you want to build on coming out of that? And I think it's a really interesting question that, uh, yeah, Jordan's beginning to answer and that I think we're going to see a lot of people start to uh, muse on and meddle in as, as this goes on. Clearly, John Krasinski is doing that too. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. So we've talked about movie premieres being postponed, major projects being delayed or outright canceled. I mean, all kinds of work is being um, thrown into chaos because of lockdown, because of COVID-19. And uh, that includes um, cheerleading championships. (laughs) You know what? I mean, you're not wrong. It's true. So uh, you know what I'm talking about if you watch cheer. Uh, but the Navarro cheer squad will not be going to the championships. They have been canceled because obviously guys, Daytona, Daytona's off. Yes. Daytona's off, which is, I mean, I think we can all feel it. Like when you train for a year to go to a competition, you have suffered injuries. People have been concussed. Um, you've fallen how many times you've practiced routines full out thousands of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so it's definitely heartbreaking for all those kids, not just the ones we care about in Navarro. However, it doesn't mean that there isn't still a future or potential, and particularly for Ladarius Marshall because he was just profiled in the cut by Bobby Finger. Couldn't think yeah. of a better person to write that piece. It's true. It's so true. Um, and you sent it over to me and you were like, oh, holy shit. I mean, this is the podcast. It's so much the podcast because um, I think that we haven't had a story like this in a long while. And what I mean by that is that this is literally a star is born. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the cheer as a doc series. Uh, was not necessarily expected. I think they knew it was good. I don't think they knew it was going to blow up in such a massive way, the way it did. And out of cheer, we got uh, Jerry, obviously, who took five seconds before he was on the Oscar red carpet and doing viral videos, uh, Matt talking people on their way into work. But Ladarius was the other character who really was the breakout star, right? And utterly, I think, unexpected on his part. If you uh, 
you know, in no world, I think, was anybody at Navarro College going, oh, hey, all these cameras around here. Maybe I can parlay this into a media career, whatever that's going to look like in the year 2020 when this comes out. Like it's, it's, I think the reason it makes me so excited is because it is one of the few instances of true spontaneity in entertainment that we've ever seen, right? I agree. I think that there, it's a beautiful combination of true spontaneity, but also rising to the occasion when the call comes, which is not quite spontaneity, but I guess preparedness. He talks about in this article, um, it would have been the episode, I think it's episode five of six, where he reveals his past trauma and Mm -hmm. abuse. And it it alludes to the fact that producers had said to him, we want a two hour sit down with you. Yep. And he, he admits or doesn't admit, I mean, there's nothing to admit, but he reveals that he was like, oh yeah, like they're, 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 they were asking me in that moment to reveal, to talk about my experience, to really be vulnerable. And I made a decision that I was going to, uh, I knew that's what they were looking for is pretty much I'm paraphrasing what he said in the piece. I knew that's what they were looking for. I've been around enough. I've watched enough of this to know that they were zeroing in on my story for a reason. And I came to play. Now, I'm not saying that like this is something to play with. I mean, God, his history is is obviously horrific. But he did in that moment make a decision to share that for a purpose. So it's that that magic between when spontaneity meets um, being deliberate that creates something wonderful. Yeah. Or another way to look at it is you say yes. You know, there's that thing whereby um, uh, there are people who say that the way to success is say yes to everything, lean into something. He could have said, no, I don't want to do an interview with you. Nobody's going to make him. He could have sa- he could have given a two hour interview and given them nothing. Um, he could have. And I'm sure some of his teammates uh, were interviewed and none of it was used, you know, where it's not, there's not something there to play with. But what that two-hour interview gave is a great dichotomy, right? Ladarius, the character that they had built, that Ladarius himself had built for years and years and that was available on screen, is this big, extroverted, bravado-filled performer. And then he's like, yeah, okay, I'll go ahead and show you the, the soft underbelly if you will. So that I think is, is like also saying yes to be vulnerable for lack of a better word. Um, you're right. He was ready or he made a decision to be ready. Uh, but he's also compelling. He's funny. He's quick. He's great to look at. He's all of those things. He's literally being vaulted to uh, a world stage. And with the exception of Daytona not happening, it was actually supposed to start today, Wednesday. Um, The world is kind of his oyster. He has all the places in the world to go. And that is super exciting. And to me, it's also terrifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you brought that part in. I, I... 
I'm excited for him. And I think that anybody who's watched Cheer, I mean, we don't have to explain why he's an emerging star, why he has that it, the elusive it, right? Yeah. The other side of it is he's 21. He's 21. Um, He's 21. As Bobby Finger also alludes to in his piece, I mean, it comes up, fame is, to borrow from Lady Gaga, is can be a monster. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. one thing to be a star within this system where um, you know everybody, there's a structure, not just to the routines and the practice and the pyramid, but there's a structure to the environment. You mean within cheer? That's right. Everybody understood, yes, what it takes to be a cheer celebrity in that right microcosm world. But right? also everybody understood what, how to be like their role that they played. Monica was very clear and the environment of cheering is very clear about what position you're in. Are you mm-hmm, part of mm-hmm. the pyramid? Are you this? Are you that? Um, that doesn't necessarily exist that structure in terms of the wild wild west that he is possibly going to enter into the wild wild west of celebrity outside off the mat so to speak right um and you know it is it is by definition going to rely on somebody guiding him along the way as of press time there's not been an announcement that he has signed with any particular uh management company or agency uh jerry has done uh and i and there may have been another uh somebody else who signed on with representation so the question is who do you choose well which way do you go first of all uh when i say that the cut piece if you haven't seen it Uh, There are some extremely high fashion photos, like really beautiful photos uh, taken of Ladarius. You would never blink if you were told he's the most famous male model in the world right now. Like he's beautiful. All of his poses are excellent. To your point, he's been training. You know what I mean? On some level, even if he's only posing in his bathroom, right? He could be a model, but he could also be a dancer. He could also be a, a performer, uh, like a, an actor, host, personality, something. Everybody who comes knocking on his door is going to have an opinion about what he should be. And then that's why I said it's about who, because who he actually can become and what career path he takes is going to depend on who it is he chooses to to start to work with and and whose counsel he trusts, you know? I already like this choice of where his first extended profile, celebrity profile ended up. Um, I, I don't know who's responsible for it, whether it's Ladarius himself, whether or not Bobby Finger did a great job pitching and um, whether or not Monica had something to do with it, whether or not mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. the, like the filmmakers, the cheer filmmakers, Netflix. But I already like this choice in placing this profile in the cut. It is fashion minded. It is style minded. The cut is about um, the aesthetic. But I mean, he they there could have been there were so many, so many publications that would have wanted this teen Vogue um, variety, any 
any publication would have wanted this profile, but this was the right place for it to land. And I, I already like, to me, that already gives me comfort. Like if this is a step, if this is the first step in a series of steps, um, to reveal a certain strategy, I like it already. That's, uh, that's a really good point. Um, that somebody somewhere, like, I think it's, it's safe to say that, uh, Ladarius did not call up the cut and be like, Hey, I've chosen you guys. Maybe he's a devoted reader. I don't know. Um, by all means, uh, I enjoy the, the New York family of publications, but, uh, you're right that it's somebody had a, a real sage choice here, especially when, there are other publications, other outlets that might have seemed more uh, high profile at first glance. Like, I don't know what offers he got, but you see what I mean. It's, yeah. The cut is, it means something only to the people who read it, which yeah. is true of everything. But it's not necessarily a brand name if you don't know, right? Yeah. But it also, the cut pieces are usually a little bit more, I mean, not usually, but in more in depth. I mean, this was a, a, a nice lengthy piece. Yeah. And thoughtful. Very thoughtful and objective. I mean, again, credit to Bobby Finger. There are, there's room in this piece for Bobby Finger as an observer of pop culture, who's probably, well, definitely more experienced than Ladarius to at least foreshadow or not like not willfully foreshadow, but at least to point out that there is the possibility for some pitfalls. Absolutely. I do. I see what you see that there's the inference of, Oh, look at all the ways that this could go, you know, but at the same time, what is so attractive is that because this was not the path that Ladarius thought he was going down, you know, remember at the end of Cheer, he talks about how uh, he just, he wants a job and a really reliable car. Um, everybody dreams, but I don't think that this is the same thing as a 21-year-old who has been hoping to make it in Hollywood since they were 11 and a half, yeah. you know. Um, I feel like there may be potential for an, an unusual, an unusual launch. Well, and we're already seeing it. Think about the comparable example. If you were a young actor, actress, and your first thing that you ever did was, uh, you know, kind of a well-regarded, you know, who keeps coming to mind is, uh, the, uh, is it Logan Lerman, the young kid in Perks of Being a Wallflower? Yes. You might get a profile like this, maybe. Uh, but I don't know if it would be so clearly poised on the precipice of something. I think it would be a lot shorter and a lot more of like, you've already seen him. Here's what you already know about him. He's cute and great. There's something about the way this is written and that it's the first piece of press that Ladarius is doing that makes it seem like he has the potential to go anywhere. So I'm 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 excited, even though I understand that you know there's there's some wariness to be had. Well, and also, I mean, I guess to your point, the second part of that is the Logan Lermans of the world aren't interested in being as real as Ladarius has already been in Cheer and still is in this piece in the cut. 
speaking to Bobby Finger. And when I say real, I mean, of course, to use that word again, vulnerable in, in talking about his trauma and how he handled it, but also real in, in portraying a sort of, um, um, duality, if you will. Yeah, yeah, there I are gotcha. so many parts of him that are in conflict with each other. I want to move to a ranch and I want to live the quiet life and drive a Honda Accord. Oh, but you know, I also can take some acting classes and who knows, I do this, that, and the other. Sure. I'd be happy to go to Hollywood. Like none of those fit together. And to me, even though those ambitions might probably be in the opposite direction of each other, it makes complete sense that these would be the things in his mind that you want all the things. But, you know, maybe that's why this is so compelling because, uh, again, to use uh, Logan Lerman as an example, I don't know why that was the name, but now it's uh, it's quickly become like a term. Um, but I think what is so interesting is unlike an ingenue, unlike uh, an actor who's just had a first role, you're right. We already know not just so much about him, but that he contains multitudes. How often does a 21-year-old launch onto the scene and is able to say and back up, I'm not just one thing, I am many things, don't underestimate me. When was the last time that happened on like on any front? You know, I'm I'm cycling back through uh, even we didn't see Beyonce that way at 21. We didn't see, uh, I don't know, anybody. Justin Bieber? No. Um, Like nobody has been able to arrive fully formed and be like. Uh, just try, try to think that you know who I am. I have all the things. And yet we feel like we know him so well. We know his brother. Yeah. We've seen his brother cry over him. I will say that this profile in the cut, when you sent it to me, surprised me. It surprised me that it even happened. And I'll tell you why. I think that in 2020, there's been cheer followed by, and I'm not, I'm talking about the big ticket properties that are making headline news, you know, yeah, we're talking yeah, about cheer. So we mm-hmm. all know cheer was a phenomenon Went ended up on Ellen Oscars, as you said, for Jerry, then for about three weeks, no one could stop talking about love is blind in late February, March. Um, yeah, absolutely. Lauren and Cameron are now there people you go. who don't need last names. That's right. So that was the thing, the Netflix thing that was trending, that was everybody was talking about it. And right now, and maybe it'll change in 48 hours because Netflix will drop something new. It's Tiger King. Yes. And so when I talk about that cycle getting shorter and shorter, there are a lot of people who I think have forgotten about cheer. And that's why it surprised me that Ladarius's profile ended up in the cut and of certainly we're talking about it. We still care about it. I don't know though, if it landed in the way it would have, if it came out in January. And that's sort of what I'm curious to see. That's also why I'm happy that this was the choice, that it was the cut, that it's a longer piece that gives you a little bit more meat. But I am curious about, um, seeing, where this builds the momentum, if it can build the momentum again, or if this is just where we're at right now, these flashing cycles that sort of spin out 
and get to big heights and then it's replaced by something else. Well, you know, when you started talking about this, like that you were surprised and then explaining about why, um, I took it from a totally different place, which is for the cut to put a high profile writer on it and to, you know, put the clearly time and money again, look at these shots into this piece they have to believe that it's going to have legs that there is that the interest in cheer isn't going to wane so there's enough either as you say either a really sage writer at the cut or a really savvy pr person or both is like no no let's not rush this out the week of let's wait let's make it really really good and those are the kinds of things that you often hear people say, and then just as often those things can fall apart. But this is one of those situations where I think it's it pays off to wait to be out of the noise of all the cheer kids, to not just be, oh, and the day after they're on Ellen, then there's this piece about Ladarius and the cut. And also, here's how Morgan does her hair ties. That is not a piece as far as I know, but I'm sure it could be. <laughs> Um, but this, by waiting, by by letting it breathe, it says, no, this person is worthy of your attention outside of the hubbub of cheer. This person is worthy of your attention three months after you've actually forgotten about the show. Um, and that, I think, is part of the reason that it feels like a real, uh, a real launch and not just a flash in the pan. Good luck, Ladarius. I can't wait. More Ladarius and less Joe fucking exotic. Yeah, well, well played and well played to whoever he's working with, because I've decided in the course of this conversation that, yes, of course, there has to be somebody. So uh, well done them. And great work, Bobby Finger. Yes, absolutely. And let us know about your great work like Jordan did earlier. Um, we will be... Linking to Jordan and Bobby Finger's piece in the cut on Ladarius and everything else we've mentioned in the show notes. But we definitely want to keep hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting Show Your Work um, and for subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts and leaving comments and reviews. We really appreciate it. I wonder, we've been getting uh, e a lot of email, which is amazing. I wonder if we should spend some time reading a few uh, in the next little while, because, uh, you guys always have fascinating emails, but, uh, you've kicked it up a notch recently. Uh, so do you think we should do like some, uh, some more mail in the next coming weeks? Let us know if you have a, a screed where you've been ready to scream at us, send it flying in so that we can get to it in time. Um, but, uh, I love what you guys are contemplating in the, con in the coronavirus era. So by all means, hit us up. Thanks again. We'll be back next week. Bye. 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 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.